That's the solution. We don't start from the outside and then work our way in. We have to start from the inside and work our way out. And those messages are around us all the time if we're just open to seeing them. This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Hi, how are you? Better yet, who are you? Have you taken time to ask yourself those questions lately? I'm Marco, and this is The Law School Show. Introspection is the theme of today's episode. I had a really engaging conversation with Suzanne Gabriele and Andreas Calogenitas. They're two young entertainment lawyers practicing out of the Berkeley Chambers in Toronto. Suzanne is trained in psychotherapy, and she offers wellness counseling for professionals. Both Andreas and Suzanne, as well as other lawyers, contribute to the Redline blog, the themes of which come out in our discussion. You can check it out at theredline.ca. So, we talked about mindfulness, meditation, and what it means to lead an authentic life as a legal professional. They both openly shared their stories on how these ideas and these practices helped them and continue to help them lead a fulfilling professional and personal life. So it's no surprise we ended up relating the last episode of Mad Men to our larger discussion. So if you're interested in any of these things, I'd say stay tuned. I'd first like to quickly thank Tiana Podkonjak, though, because she oriented me on the subject of mental health in the legal profession. Tiana is a second-year law student at the University of Ottawa. She's actually going into third year right now. Uh, So she's worked in the mental health sector, and currently she's conducting research for an Ottawa-based nonprofit that helps clients with disabilities access legal services. So thank you, Tiana. So we have Andreas and Suzanne. I guess you both can introduce yourselves and talk about your background. You can touch on your current practice areas, uh, the path that led you to where you are, and why you're doing what you're doing. So whoever wants to go first can jump in. Great. Thank you so much. It's uh, an honor to be here. Um, So I started as a lawyer. Um, I was called to the bar in 2007 and practiced just in a general um, uh, full-service firm. Uh, It was shortly after I was called to the bar, though, that um, I started to reconsider my role as a lawyer. Um, I won't take you through the entire process uh, that I had gone through at the time, um, but I ended up leaving the law briefly and went back to school to study psychotherapy. Um, Eventually, I was able to uh, come to realize that both the law and uh, mental and emotional wellness were part of what I wanted to contribute. So um, I partnered with uh, a colleague of mine from, from law school and started my own practice and uh, incorporated the mental health uh, side of my um, uh, side of my profession um, by designing a program that was meant specifically for lawyers uh, so mm-hmm. that they could start addressing issues of mental and emotional well-being in their professions. Okay, so was I 
correct in saying that it was uh, wellness counseling? Is that how you would label I would, it? Yeah, I would qualify it as just sort of general counseling. Okay, Wellness cool. counseling, emotional counseling, yeah. Cool. So, um, like, what was the extent of the, the, the training that you had in, uh, in therapy or psychotherapy? In psychotherapy, I did a one-year accelerated program at a private college called the Transformational Arts College in Toronto. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Andreas. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, I'm Andreas Kalogenitis. Um, I run Kalogenitis Law right now. It's a legal practice primarily in the areas of business, intellectual property, entertainment, but I do dabble in, in criminal and civil litigation and some other matters as well. Uh, I am a 2012 call to the bar. Uh, I articled in-house at a copyright licensing organization, which was, uh, which was great. I really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, I was hired on actually as uh, in-house counsel as part of the team there. And uh, I was laid off due to a Supreme Court case that we lost. And uh, I, I was laid off with about half of the company there. And uh, as a result, I uh, jumped into my own practice. And I started that in November 2013 and uh, haven't looked back since. So, I mean, in terms of I don't have a, any kind of professional background in, in psychotherapy or anything like that, my journey into just underst- into mental health issues has really just been more from my own experiences in my life and it's been very introspective in that way uh-huh. uh, i've got no formal training whatsoever i just read some books and just speaking and, and understanding my own experience has been has been helpful for me and the case that you mentioned was it the access copyright case that was yeah there was a was part of the copyright pentology yeah. cases that went before the supreme court and 2012. 2012, I, I believe it was. Yeah, so we lost that case, and, and essentially, as a result of losing that case, we lost uh, a lot of their a lot of our revenues overnight. Um, the revenues were primarily gained from um, from tariffs having to do with the reproduction of uh, right of um, of textbooks and uh, and books, mostly for uh, for the K to 12 and university sphere. So as a result of that, you know, there yeah, we there's a small company, but we got there's probably about. 20 or so people that got let go and I was that's a lot I was one of the yeah. people yeah so it was early early time to learn that lesson but it was a fantastic lesson to learn and uh, I've got nothing but great things to to say about that place good to hear and I mean you've been you've been you know flying solo for over two years now right and it's been going well yeah it's been going very well um I mean it's uh well maybe, maybe that's a bit of a lie in the first thing <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean it, it's it's always it's been going well in terms of it's been a journey yeah that I've you know, there, you enjoy the highs and the lows of that journey, um, just like any small business owner. Yeah. So I think the, the first year was very, very tough. Um, you know, I was supporting myself a lot through through savings mm-hmm. and, and that I had accumulated, and, and I was getting uh, getting you know getting some clients as well, but certainly not self sustainable. But sure. in the last year and a half, things have picked up, and and 2016 so far has been has been a fantastic year. So. It's 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 a, you know it's a work in progress like it always is. Yeah, exactly. It's a slow build. You're an entrepreneur, and you know the beginning stages are what they are. But it, you're building towards something. Absolutely. Right? So I think that's awesome. We can transition to the red line, and I mean I've only mentioned the name, so people probably don't know what it is. And I'll leave it to you guys just to talk about what it is, why it exists, and how it, and in what circumstances it came to be. I think it came to be uh, primarily because there is a synergy of energy that happens in this particular space, the Berkeley Chambers. Um, There's, you know, young entrepreneurial lawyers uh, with a similar story to Andreas, um, you know, starting our own practices, having a lot of the same experiences, 
Um, and having some experiences that are particular to young uh, soul practitioners. Uh, so we just started having really great conversations with each other um, and started talking about how we are represented by our profession and how we're underrepresented by our profession. Uh, we had conversations about uh, the culture of the legal profession, which mm -hmm. is a subject matter that thankfully has become more popular uh, with the Law Society, with the Ontario Bar Association. Um, and we wanted to contribute to that conversation as well from our own perspective as you know, solo small practitioners um, and entrepreneurial lawyers. So we basically just decided to, instead of, or in addition to having conversations with each other, we would share our thoughts um, on, a, on a blog and encourage yeah. conversation and encourage other lawyers to participate in that conversation. Um, we don't, we're not always uh, sort of agreeable, but we just, <laughs> we nope. definitely like to contribute to that conversation. And it's, a, it's an important one because, um, you know, the culture of the legal profession, uh, I think, is a conversation that all lawyers need to participate in, um, even though sometimes it is more difficult for, uh, for solo and small practitioners to contribute to that conversation on a, on a broader scale. Is that what you mean when you say, uh, when you said the word underrepresented? Yeah, somewhat, somewhat. Yeah. I mean, there are certain experiences that only, uh, you know, solo and small firms uh, experience. Um, you know, hats off to the Law Society for creating the Solo and Small Firm Conference. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there are certain things that solo and small firm practitioners can do for ourselves, by ourselves, mm -hmm. but in collaboration with each other. And uh, I think through the red line, we're sort of being the practical sort of um, expression of what that might look like. And it can look like a number of different things, but this is just one expression of it. Great. Yeah, I mean, it's just to add to all that, it's really interesting how the red line has morphed. Um, it's gone through a few different, it's been, it hasn't been around for, for too long, but it's gone through several different iterations in terms of the, the content that, that we're putting up there. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll give you an example. I mean, just so when I, when I, my initial focus uh, on the red line was going to be about, well, how to build your business and, and branding and marketing and how to, mm -hmm. how to build your business as a, you know, as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, <clears throat> you know, discovering things from how do you, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you get clients? Yeah, right? practical things. Practical yeah. things. Mm -hmm. And if you look at my first post, I think it was about, you know, how to value yourself as a lawyer and how to value your time and how to be firm with, uh, with drawing boundaries with your clients about what your value is and, and all this kind of thing. So there's a very practical element to it. But what happened with me and every, every author has their own individual perspective and sure. their own individual voice. But what happened with my, with me is that, it became, as I started to just get involved in my own kind of mental health and spiritual journey, I started to shift my focus away from more of the practical things about being a lawyer and running a small business. And it focused really more on the emotional side of it and the spiritual side of it. Okay. Things that are have to do with being a lawyer and running a small business, but also have nothing to do with those things as well. Right. So I think that's the interesting dynamic about the red line is that it's it's a really interesting blend of practical advice, but very personal journeys. I think as well from all the all the authors that contribute. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, what you're saying because I've read all the posts on there, so I get a sense of what it's about. There's a real human element, right? It's like we're all as legal professionals, we're all in this together. It's a pretty tough job, um, yeah. And it's like we're not alone. We can have a conversation. It's cool. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the I'm idea not doing it justice. 
No, I mean, I think that was exactly it. I think the idea was was just to to throw something up there that mm-hmm. wasn't looking that wasn't taking the law and ourselves too seriously okay. in a way, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. think it just kind of to present this is what it is and yeah. being being authentic and honest with that perspective and not trying to put anything out there that was dogmatic or that was trying to preach out anything in particular. Um, you know, and I think it's always a, it's a work in progress and it's always, you know, in, in an evolution of becoming what it is. Yeah, I also think that we, in you know, in having those conversations with, you know, with our colleagues, we wanted to have that experience of leaving those conversations, feeling uplifted, feeling supported, and we wanted to kind of share that with a broader right. audience. Because um, you mentioned this um, before, Marco, but that feeling of, of being out there on your own mm-hmm. and how important it is to know that you are actually not alone. Right. And I think from our perspective, the way we address that is by sharing our own experiences. Right. And again, not to be dogmatic, not to say this is how we do it, this is how you do it, um, but to say this is what I went through. Are there elements of my experience that you can identify with? And if so, why don't you share them with me? Right. And then in that way, I think the only thing that I can sort of use as an all-encompassing um description of what it is is an encouragement of introspection um, to encourage uh, fellow professionals to be more self-aware to be Mm -hmm. more introspective and if you don't know what that looks like I mean check out the red line (laughs) yeah that's that's I couldn't put it bottom line yeah Yeah, I would say so so Suzanne um, the thing that you just said about connectedness it reminds me of uh, I'm a big fan of Mad Men. For anyone who watches it, it's one of the greatest television shows ever made. Um, <laughs> and in the, the in the last season, in the last episode... Spoiler alert. Yeah, oh yeah, thank you. Spoiler alert. Um, Don is, you know, anytime he's had a problem, like a serious problem, he kind of runs away from it. So he's run away from it, and I think he's in L.A., and he's uh, gone to essentially... Sort of like yeah, a, a retreat. Yeah, yeah. A retreat. So he's sort of like yeah. a retreat... Mm-hmm. Um, he was on a wellness retreat, we'll mm-hmm. say. Let's call it that. <laughs> um, but he was really down in the dumps and he, it, it seemed like he was close to committing suicide. So he's in a session and he finds another fellow who feels the same way as he does, or he identifies that in the other person when the other person opens up, essentially feeling like he's alone, like he's ignored, that there's really nobody else out there. And that's the moment when Don has that breakthrough, like, oh, I'm not alone. And then the show ends with him creating probably one of the most iconic ads of all time, the Coca-Cola ad. So, uh, yeah, like what do you, Suzanne, you were just talking about it. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I find it, I find it very um, telling. I see these messages all around us all the time. I think once you open up your, you know, perspective to these kinds of things, you actually start seeing them more often. So I was watching the finale of of the series not long ago, and it struck me that, you know, he had that realization and that breakdown, essentially, Mm -hmm. of all of the walls he had built up over the course of his lifetime when he saw someone else going through a similar experience. And now the scene in between that and the final scene where you see the actual Coca-Cola ad, you see the symbolism of Don sitting in a meditative posture and this serene smile appears on his face. 
And yeah. in that brief moment, you think, wow, he's let go of the world and he's just in his moment and he's in his, you know, he's found his blissful state within himself. And I thought, scene, cut, you were going to end it right there. Right. But it takes it one step further and you see him from that place of wholeness create one of the most prolific ads um, most likely, if you can sort of imagine his career, probably the most important ad of his career that probably right. made his career. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I think to myself, that's it. That's the solution. We don't start from the outside and then work our way in. We have to start from the inside and work our way out. And those messages are around us all the time if we're just open to seeing them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've read what Matthew Weiner has said about his his stance on on the last scene and the the Coca-Cola ad and I guess he got some criticism because some people consider that a cheesy ad and that it's all about togetherness and yada 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 but he was saying like no like this is Don like you said having a breakthrough and it's coming from such a, a good place he's in he's found peace um, and you see things throughout the episode that are expressed in the actual ad. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he's really not swimming upstream anymore. And if this series were to continue, I would bet that there would be no series because he wouldn't be self-destructive and it right. wouldn't be there's a no to watch. There's no there's conflict. No, not to say that I there mean, isn't any conflict. There's no inner conflict. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> that might that might have been the last ad he ever did. It could have well, been. Maybe. Know, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe. Because, because like you say, all, all that self-destructive behavior that kind of made the show what it is might again depending on the level of his realization about what he was going through might have just kind of fallen away mm -hmm. and he would have you know and he was already i think you build up to that where he was running away from his life right he was also taking a break from advertising like he was on that phone call where he was saying where are you and he's like i'm retired like he was getting out of the ad game i thought i think it just shows that he was already on that journey right before then and i think he kind of maybe subconsciously knew it Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's something I can relate to in, in my own life. I mean, that, that, and that's that my, that's my experience right there is, um, just understanding, like I've, I've recently become aware of how I myself have been on this journey that I've never really appreciated mm -hmm. until this point, to this point where I can actually step back and, and have some breakthroughs about my own issues and my own, uh, my own journey and understand that this whole thing has been a journey. And it's allowed me to see the last, say, you know, my entire life. But let's let's be real. The last maybe six, seven, eight years in a very different way, and to see how my growth as a person, you know, emotionally and spiritually, has been has been tied to the events that you know, the, the personal, the business events, the professional events, the choices that I've made have been tied into that. And I, I think you know, you can see that maybe maybe with Don. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I find it also very symbolic and not to sort of beat this <laughs> metaphor to death, but um, he was in advertising. I mean, think about what that means, really. You're taking a product and you might be fudging the truth about it a little bit to kind of put it out there and to sell it. Sounds like nothing I've ever heard of before. Really? That's so interesting. <laughs> so, because I, you know, one of my posts has, uh, you know, I, I talked about lawyer burnout. I talked about that issue from... A perspective of emotional wellness as opposed to these are the five things that you do to avoid burnout mm -hmm. and for me burnout is a matter of putting on all of these facades to be who we're supposed to be in this profession yep. 
and it becoming so difficult to maintain that persona and having that not really be connected to who you actually are as a person, how do we not burn out as a result of that? How do we not get exhausted from having to put so much energy into being the pleaser, into being the overachiever, into being any number of facades that we put on? And so it might have also been a metaphor, you know, in Don's case, he was just tired of putting that out there. And he needed to find a place of authenticity. And once he found that place of authenticity, his career, uh, according to that last scene, just took on an ease and mm -hmm. unprecedented success. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think the word has popped out a number of times now, and I think it's worth exploring authenticity. Mm -hmm. Can you guys elaborate on what that means and how, like, specifically... I guess you kind of just did. Yeah, a little bit, but in I can legal profession. And and well, I can't I can't speak about it from from the perspective of all lawyers, but I can speak about it from my experience as a, you know, a young lawyer. Okay. And um, you know, joining the firm environment and and actually even from law school realizing that there was a certain way that I was supposed to be in order to be successful in this profession. And it's not a criticism. It's just the way the culture developed. Sure. And it wasn't until afterwards when I realized I don't have the energy to be all of these people and I want to do the work but I don't mm -hmm. want to do it in a way that is so depleting to me that I don't have time for anything else in my life and so uh, I look at burnout in that way I look at well I don't want to participate in you know this false persona of who I'm supposed to be mm -hmm. Uh, an overachiever, a perfectionist. And these are things that I grew up being. So it was, you know, one of my posts, I think it was the burnout post, where I talked about these qualities of myself that actually primed me for a career as a lawyer, right. being a perfectionist, being an overachiever. Mm -hmm. It just became so exhausting. Yeah. And uh, it was a matter of taking a step back and realizing, is this who I really am? And if so, is this who I want to continue to be? And so I had a dawn moment, <laughs> but it, my dawn moment took me seven years. So. Okay. Um, so I, I guess it's safe to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you did not, that the practice of law maybe was not what you expected it would be going into it. No, no. Yeah. Hell no. Okay. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. I would, I would agree with that. Although I'm not sure what I expected. Um, I'll tell you what I expected. Sure. Tell us, Andreas. What, what I, you know what, and this, this is, this is going to be interesting. What I, what I kind of, I grew up, um, you know, watching a lot of like Law and Order and, and kind of those <laughs> kind of shows, right? So for, you know, for a while, as an 11 or 14 or 15 year old, the only impression that I had, um, you know, like a lot of people, it's a very familiar story of the law was what I saw on TV. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any parents, friends who were lawyers. My parents didn't know any lawyers. They were not lawyers. I, I had no exposure to this. And so that was kind of the image that I had. And, and then, you know, as I, as I would get older and even in law school, I, you know, there's an identity that they try to, to get you to buy into, which is, again, it's not a fault or a criticism, but there's a way that, um, you know, you do your on-campus interviews in a certain way. There's, there's certain identities about where you work, about what you're expected to do, about mm -hmm. how you conduct yourself and, and who you're supposed to be. And, um, you know, and frankly, when I, you know, I had this, this, this idea of like, yeah, no, you know what, I'm going to become this, this big time corporate 
entertainment lawyer. That's what I want. I'm going to be, um, frankly, I'm going to be licensed in LA. I'm going to be driving. I'm going to be making that million dollar endorsement deal and then right. jumping into my Ferrari or my, my Porsche, which is one of my favorite cars, and then <laughs> high-fiving my colleagues and driving down the coast. And that was a real thing. Like when I'm you know, 24 years old, I'm like, this is, yeah, this is a possibility in five years. This is what I think I want. And the thing is, is it's, it was an identity that has been constructed from what I saw around me. Right. And from, again, from a lot of like my upbringing mm-hmm. and in terms of the, my, my parents' values that were thrust onto me and just my own delusions about <laughs> what I thought I expected out of it. And sure. that was what it was. It was high five your partner and, and drive down the coast and, and celebrate your deal. And turned out I got none of those things. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There was an awakening point. Maybe in uh, maybe after I think after articling or during articling where it was, wow, this is what it is. This is what the practice of law is. Yeah. And looking around at my friends and colleagues around me and saying, well, that's that's their experience as well. And there was a kind of moment where I was just unhappy about it and I was kind of sad, but I didn't understood why. Now I understood very clearly why it was because there's an identity issue and I didn't know where I belonged in that. Yeah. So I felt that, uh, you know, I'm at the, I'm going to say the beginning of my career because I was called in June or July of 2015. So I'm like very fresh, but yeah, you, you, like I've had, I don't know if I'm going to keep this in, but I'm going to speak freely anyway, but I've had like anxiety myself having to make decisions of the path that I want to take. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like you can become paralyzed because you're scared to make a move. And make a decision because once you plant your foot down, like you're going, you're, you can you can change and you can pivot, right? But for me, what I've done now, I was seeking out a job, a job, right? Mm. Um, looking for stuff that I probably would not be incredibly happy with. I'm, I very much uh, see myself being an entertainment lawyer, working mostly in film and TV, and I've actually been doing that type of work. So I feel like I'm kind of shaping my experience and my learning. Um, but like a few, and I'm a sole practitioner, right? And I do freelance work and I do other stuff that keeps me happy. Um, but it was terrifying for a little while there because I felt like I was making a bad decision. Mm -hmm. But now for whatever reason, I feel very comfortable, not very comfortable, but much more comfortable in doing what I'm doing and accepting like, you know what, this is this is probably where I belong. Like I'm going to make something hopefully happen with this and just play it out and see where it goes. And that's okay. And the thing that I had to do is I, I kind of just shed my ego uh, yep. with these things. Uh, maybe we can talk a bit about ego and how that plays into or clouds decision-making and how it relates to mindfulness. Hmm. That is a giant question. It's, yeah, it, yeah. It's okay. Huge. I mean, you know, okay. I, so this how is many segue into a topic. Are we record. <laughs> huge question. I mean, like, what is ego and how does that impact? Yeah, I mean, I think I, mean, I think it goes. I think it goes into you know you know how you identify yourself, uh, how you present yourself to the world, um, what you own about your experience, what you take on as this is me and mm-hmm. that's not me, um, and so I think you know, bringing mindfulness into this equation, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, a practice of non-judgment that comes about when you, when you start, when you bring in a mindfulness practice. And so judgment is pervasive with the ego. This is wrong. That's right. That's a bad decision. This is a good decision. Okay. Mindfulness comes in 
And I think you had an experience like this and maybe you just haven't, you know, um, perceived it in this way, but you shifted the way you go about judging your experiences from right, wrong, good, bad, scary, not scary to, you know what, I'm just going to try it and I'm going to observe as Mm -hmm. I try it. I'm not going to judge myself. And I'm going to take that part of my, of my psyche that says you need to do this perfectly and you need to do this right. And you need to do this right now. Mm -hmm. You took that and you put it aside, even though you might've still heard it a little bit in the background and you just went for it. Yeah. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you you get doing that. Yeah. And uh, you, you give more attention to that calm part of yourself. Yeah. And you, and there's less personalization that happens and there's less judgment that happens as a result. Yeah. I think you hit it like right on the nail. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's really good at that. <laughs> so how would you say now, um, you're, you're saying that your role or your vision or your, who you are now in the bigger picture has changed because your assumptions, which probably weren't your own to begin with, have nope. changed. And now you're, you're making your own rules essentially. So how, in the context of the legal profession, how do you feel you, you fit in now? Or what's your role in the profession? What's your role in the community and in, in the industries that you service? That's a very interesting question because I think it it has to do with identity, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, wow, it's how, how do I see myself in the context of the profession? You know what? I, I don't know if I have a clear answer to that. And I, I think that's the answer that I'm going with right now only because I think I used to have a better answer. And mm-hmm. I think that was part of the issue that I had. Part of the problem. I think that was part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I think I had, if you were to ask me that, even a year ago, but even, but even two, three, four, five years ago, I had a very, very clear picture of why I wanted these things and what I was doing and the reasons why I was doing those things. And I think a lot of that was based in, in ego. Mm-hmm. In, um, you know, and, and the ego, you know, ego's job is to keep us safe. Right. And I think um, a lot of those, the things that I wanted in terms of, you know, um, status or titles or clients or professionalism or, um, you know, or money, I think was, was attached to, um, was attached to things, assumptions about who I was and what I really wanted out of life. So not to say that now I have, you know, I'm kind of drifting aimlessly. I don't have any goals. So I don't know, you know, where I fit, but I think now I'm, I, it's just, I'm more aware that I'm in this process of constant evolution yeah. and, now, um, I, I, I mean, in terms of practical benefits, like I, I can bring this, um, you know, more self-aware and mindful perspective to, to helping my clients. And this comes up all the time in terms of just because I'm, I, because I'm, I'm better at, at seeing myself for who and what I am, I can also see those, see, see others for who and what they are. Mm-hmm. And so when a client I mean, it just happens today. I have this one client who's a very, he's kind of got a hot-headed side to him. And so when there's a, conf- a, a conflict that comes up with a business partner, he's very, he's very quick, quick and very aggressive. And, and, you know, and I think previously I would say maybe, well, okay, okay, do you want to sue? These are what your rights, what do you want to do here? But now that I can see for maybe, I understand more about him. And I can, I can see where he's maybe coming from on this. And I can suggest some alternatives that I think are more holistic and that are, are, really, uh, are really designed to solve the issues 
mm-hmm. as opposed to just inflame them. Inflame them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really yeah, that's mm-hmm. a really good word for it. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're saying that your role, or at least one role, is you're a problem solver. I think you know what I think that's I very much define myself in terms of being a problem solver. Now we're talking about identity, and now I'm saying I define myself in this way. But I, that's how I see it. I well, think. One aspect of what mm-hmm. you do. That, yeah, I, I, that's a big thing of um, of of what I do. I think it's about solving problems, and I think it's become less about being this you know having these types of clients or having these prestige these types of mm-hmm. prestige or having this type of billable. Uh, billable hour or billable uh, accounts versus versus actually solving problems and then bring that to the practice. Okay. So, and Suzanne, you can chime in here. What do you think your clients and your colleagues think about you? And do you, I'm not going to say, does, does it matter? Because obviously it does to an extent, but I mean, you know, I think I reputation think that, in this space and entertainment, like absolutely. you're very exposed mm-hmm. and uh, reputation in any profession yeah. is very yeah, important. I think as a Especially for yeah, for lawyers, you want you want your clients to refer other people to you. Of course, mm-hmm. you care what they think of you. Absolutely, I would, I would, I don't think that I take that as a determining factor in who I am. Right. Um, I'm mindful of it, but I don't say, well, this person wants me to be this way. So that's right. what I'm going to do today. Yeah. I think being my authentic self has drawn certain clientele to me yes. and they refer certain clientele to me and it just ends up working out that way. It's probably a good, your track, like there's a, there's a compatibility potentially with these clients and the people that you have, like your network because you're being authentic. I think so. I think, you know, if word spreads about you yeah based on what your skills are based on what your strengths are and I just happen to be in a situation where a lot of my referrals come in from people who um, were happy with the relationship that mm-hmm. we were able to establish yeah. between a lawyer and a client um, uh, because they were happy with the level of trust and respect that they received um, and I got better at doing that the more I was able to respect myself Mm -hmm. and I just think that that process happens first within and then without and I'm not saying that everybody has to be that way and I am absolutely not saying that if you've not done any introspection that you're not capable of being a nice and respectful person I'm just saying that my relationships with my clients improved Mm -hmm. as a result of my relationship with myself improving okay that's I mean that's what I that's what I want to bring out Mm -hmm. uh, from you I I may not have uh, phrased the question the best way but I'm glad that that came out. So have you, either of you experienced any pushback or friction from colleagues, um, you know, with, with you having this, uh, this clarity with how you see yourself and your relationships, maybe, you know, other folks who have, have kept some assumptions that they've always had I don't know if there's necessarily I don't know if there's necessarily friction. There's some quizzical glances from time to time. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You get that. but there's not. I mean, more often than not, there's a lot of oh, that's really interesting. And I yeah. think we're in it. We're in an environment now professionally where you know last year the mandate of the OBA. Oh, sorry, last year the mandate of the OBA was you know mental health in the legal profession Mm -hmm. and that's a conversation that we're continuing to have and so when I'm at these conferences you know sitting at those round tables talking to other lawyers and networking um, I mention you know the blog I mention the mental health and the the wellness program and you know nine times out of ten 
you've got people saying, that's really interesting. You know what? Give me your card. I'd like to learn more about that. And cool. so less friction, but again, it really depends on, you got to know your audience. I just yeah. happened to be at an OBA session where everyone was open to talking about mental health. Okay. So there can be friction, I'm sure. Maybe one day I'll see more of it. I, I think it's more, there's been an acceptance professionally across, across our profession. Mm -hmm. But I also think that I don't necessarily find myself interacting with people who don't want to talk about this stuff. And I see. Okay. I think they exist, just not in my sphere. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just, I I mean, all that, plus I, the moment I stopped judging myself and accepting myself, that, yeah. that was the moment where I, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks in the most authentic way. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I used to, I used to really, I used to say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks, but actually I did care what people think. Mm -hmm. You're just saying it. And I was just saying it. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people who do that. I mean, I certainly did that. And it was only, only until recently that I've started to understand that it was really coming out of place of, of not accepting, you know, who I was and judging myself about not being perfect right. or you didn't do this in the right way or you should be doing this and not that. Um, you know, judging yourself on all aspects, not just work related. And I find that when I, when that fell away for me, I don't, I don't, I really don't care. And mm -hmm. it, it's, and it, there's that authenticity in it. And like in, in that I'm just, I'm on this journey for myself and I'm just discovering parts of, of, of myself and it has nothing to do with anybody else. And so any, I, I haven't encountered any kind of friction at all. I think there's maybe some, some, yeah, some quizzical glances yeah. in terms yeah, of like, guess... okay, but there's nothing there's nothing inauthentic about it. It's just, uh, it, I don't care. Like it's, it's yeah. irrelevant, uh, completely irrelevant what anybody thinks or says. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, so it's, it's, uh, that's been my experience. Okay. Yeah. I guess, uh, the word that I was looking for instead of friction was like, have you, you've already answered the question, but have you sensed from colleagues or from peers or from whoever, like, judgment and i think what you just said like the quiz the glances mm -hmm. kind of you know that answers the question yeah like, have but you i sense think people that's... being judgmental of and not that you have to care or whatever but do you sense it because you might think a little bit uh differently than others well and that and that's the thing i think you picked up on it right it is do you sense it mm. and i think even the idea that well do you you know everyone just I perceive my own reality. It's all I can perceive. Anything I think, you know, you are saying Marco or you are saying Suzanne or you are thinking is only an assumption mm -hmm. that I'm making uh, based on my own fears and my own ego. It's not done. You might not be thinking or saying this at all. And so the idea that I'm sensing some kind of discomfort or some kind of friction from somebody who doesn't outrightly say it. That's about you. That's about me. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so I'm, th that's my point is like, I'm not, I don't sense anything because I'm not, judging myself at all i think before then you you know two years ago three years ago mm -hmm. four years ago ten years ago i would never be able to to have these types of conversations because i i you know because i would always be scared of well if i say this am i going to fit into that neat little box right right what if i say this in 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 front of my law school peers mm -hmm. what uh -huh. if i say this in front of you know uh, opposing counsel or in front of my clients or I treat them in this way are they going to th think that I'm not competent mm -hmm. are they going to think that oh this guy's crazy and like what's this guy talking about mm -hmm. you know and but now I mean and although you know I, I'm not incompetent at all I've had no issues I've got you know, I've got great referrals from clients it's great 
but I, I don't I don't sense any any discord there because okay. I'm not judging myself anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just perceiving my own reality, and, and it's in a, and everything is in accordance with 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 how I feel about myself. And so I think it's like what you were saying, right, Suzanne? It's it just it starts from within, mm-hmm. and then goes without. Mm-hmm. So, is it fair to say for both of you that your definition of achievement and success has changed over over the last few years and if you're comfortable sharing what does that mean to you oh it's absolutely changed um because now it's my own and Mm -hmm. prior to this it it did not originate in me at all Mm -hmm. and it wasn't and it wasn't their fault either it was just something that ends up happening you perceive around you well that success and you know they've got a great job and I'm going to make my parents happy mm-hmm. and I've got great marks and um, I was hired first and I'm moving up faster. And so it's always this competition-based model and it's always this. And for lawyers and law students specifically, yeah. think about how we're graded. You are not graded relative to anything other than the people sitting right next to you. And so you are put in a position of being in competition with your peers since from day one. And so... You know, it's not unheard of that that's how we would define success. Right. But I would say absolutely it has changed for me in the sense that it's become my own. And I had to first unravel Mm -hmm. what I thought it was. Right. And then rebuild it and think about what it was. For me, I know that the... One of the main characteristics of success right now is that I love coming to work. Great. (laughs) I love being in this building. I love being with these colleagues. I love, you know, having a supportive environment. Mm -hmm. I love being able to refer and to receive referrals. I just love being happy in the workplace. And that's not something that I experienced prior to this. Mm -hmm. And um, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't consider myself successful no no matter how much money I earned. Right. And I'm not saying that money isn't important. I need to pay my bills. Of course. I, I need to, you know, that it's still part of it. I don't want to sit here and say, I'm just going to go live in a cave somewhere right. and just yeah. meditate all day because that's where my bliss is. No, I'm a human being. Yeah. I'm having these great experiences. I want to interact with people. It's just that I want to have happy, supportive interactions with people and yeah. with colleagues. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that that's not outrageous for a person to ask of themselves and of like the universe Mm -hmm. right yeah i mean i think it i think it ties into um to being an entrepreneur as well and starting your own business Mm -hmm. because i mean you know there's a certain type of person who gravitates towards setting up their own shop whether it's in law or whether it's it's a bakery or whether you're a startup or whether you're a mechanic it doesn't matter there's a certain type of person that's going to take that that risk Mm -hmm. and be willing to to take those steps and um, I think that, you know, that process for me has been really, has been a really, has been tied into my mental and emotional growth mm-hmm. as well, you know. And so, and so I used to achieve, I used to define success, I think, in terms of how my assumptions about how people saw me, certain status levels or certain financial levels. And, uh, you know, and, and again, like Suzanne said, those are things that were just imposed on me. Mm-hmm. from you know from outside forces right from society from parents from friends from you know from just the, the our own my own social socialization and uh the ironic thing is that as i've i've, I've kind of accepted my you know myself and, and been more mindful and and um 
and been more authentic, like <laughs> my my billables have gone way up. <laughs> <laughs> there's this is the thing. Like there's you can track it on a graph. The moment that I started on this kind of journey with rise in billable hours and rise in profits and rise in just clients and it's yeah. crazy and so and the, but not only on the work level on the personal level things have shifted as well that's awesome and it's so you know it's not about that it's not i don't you don't but again i don't care about those things it's mm -hmm. not, for me the success for me is about being happy mm -hmm. right like suzanne said mm -hmm. in the work because the work is what you do for mm -hmm. so much of the day mm -hmm. is being yeah. happy with myself and not with achieving X billable hour or getting so many clients or whatever it is. It's about being happy with what I'm doing mm -hmm. and the value that I'm providing. Okay, so I want to touch on something else that you just mentioned uh, because being an entrepreneur, um, there's it's, it's considered to some or to many a risky enterprise because you can fail. You can fail doing anything, definitely can. but but you have this idea like you're you're on your own and yeah I can fail and a lot of people will say like well I'm not interested in experiencing that failure. Yeah. But if it doesn't work out as planned, do you still do you still consider that a failure or is it just part of the journey? I I don't I personally don't believe in in failure as this bad idea. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe in it. Um, you know I think all the successes and all the lessons you learn or I've learned. I know I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, anything I've ever learned in life is because I've failed at it and mm -hmm. I've understood how to do it better the next time. And that's the exactly. lesson there. So I think, but I think you know, you're right. You need to have that, that courage to jump. Right. And you don't know how something is going to work out in terms of starting a business or doing anything else. You have no, it's very scary to not understand what's on the other side and there's no guarantee of success. Mm -hmm. Uh, at all, but I think it's it's in that failure that, I mean, doing things that I've never done before in terms mm -hmm. of the practice, right? You, you take a file that maybe you're not so as comfortable with and you do it, but then you find out and you do it and you do a good job at it and you find out that you learn something mm -hmm. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or sometimes, you know, you mess something up and then you understand, well, this is Why what I did happened. wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you grow because of it and the next time it comes along, you're stronger because of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see that personally and professionally. Yeah, so um, a couple of things. So I think any task, that, any new task that a person is given, um, there's like this level that you have to reach and it just seems so daunting because you're starting from scratch. So you feel like you're not going to be able to do it. But I think once you start doing it and you kind of get comfortable and then you, you conquer that obstacle, you have it under your belt and you can go on to the next one. So I think that's cool. And it reminds me of... I don't know if either of you have read the book Creativity, Inc. It's no. written by Ed Catmull, who is the, I want to say, COO of Pixar. Uh, it's an interesting read. It's kind of, about, it's, it's about the culture that has been instilled at Pixar, which has been on an incredible winning streak with uh, putting out commercially successful, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say kids' films, but, you know, they're targeted to, yeah, they're targeted to kids. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're, they're such intelligent films and the messages that, that are being communicated. And um, it really ex explains the, crea the creative process there and how they go through it. Everything starts off, all their ideas, even though they end up being brilliant, if you've watched Inside Out, oh, for instance, right? Movie. They all start as garbage, mm -hmm. right? And um, one thing that he said was, uh, I think it was him who said it, but in the book was, um, in, in discussing failure, like, fail fast. 
Like just make decisions, mm-hmm. go down a path. If it's not the path, you know, if it didn't work out, well then just, just go back and pivot and take another path. Mm-hmm. But it's better to do that according to them than not to make a move at all. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. And I think that if I were, if my business were to go under tomorrow, I mean, it's very easy to talk high level about perspective on failure, but if my business were to go under tomorrow, I would have a few, more than a few moments of just feeling really sure. terrible. Yeah, yeah. No one actually likes the feeling of not, not achieving the goal that they've set out for themselves. Right. But I like that idea of, you know, fail fast because the more you experience those things, the quicker you're going to be able to move through them. Mm-hmm. And I don't want this high level conversation about failure to get people out of that feeling because comfort with that feeling is what's going to help you move through it. Right, right. So you don't want to have this high level conversation that says, well, I'm an advanced being because I don't care if I fail because they're going (laughs) to leap right over it. And you want them to be in it for a little while, not forever. Because if you don't experience it, you're always going to swerve and try to miss it. And then one day you're going to get hit real big. Mm, Yeah. And, yeah. and it's going to knock you off yeah. your feet and you won't get through it quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's about, it's about, right. It's about the intention and the feeling you put around the failure. Right. It's the judgment that we put yeah. on ourselves right. as exactly. this is success. This, this is, is failure. failure. And if I fail, I'm bad. And yes. I feel ashamed because right. I fail. Not this is an thing. experience. Yeah. And this is what I've learned from this experience. Yeah. And that, that's the thing is if you, is exactly it. It's, it's all about the feeling that you put onto it. Right. And if you. And it's a practice. You're not going to get there right away. I'm yeah. not there. I'm not telling you that I'm there. There is no way that I'm there. If my business went under tomorrow, I would need to go and see my therapist. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay. So, Andreas, I'm going to quote you right now. And Uh-oh. yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought this was an interesting quote and I'd, I'd like you to speak to it. And Suzanne, feel free to jump in as well. Oh, I, I think I will. Yeah, I think I will. Think I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is from, uh, I guess, the most recent post mm. on the red line for April 3rd, 2016. And it relates to a video of Snoop Dogg, or I guess you entitled it on, on, on Authenticity, Why Snoop Dogg is as Rich as Bill Gates. And it's a really cool video of Snoop Dogg talking about, you know, how he's become so successful and how he had to leave other people behind who weren't on the same path as him. And those are just the tough decisions you have to make if you want to be successful. So this is the quote. Because the universe exists within each of us individually and within all of us collectively, we are all connected to a higher consciousness. These people have just understood how to tap into it and vibrate at that frequency. That is a that is a pretty cool quote. I just would love to... <laughs> I'm glad that's the word you used to describe it. Cool. Yeah. But like, just talk. (laughs) Okay. um, No pressure. Um, I I think, you know, like, I think this is part of a bigger kind of metaphysical conversation that I'm not the right person to have. I mean, I think, I I think what I was trying to say with that is the idea that all of the answers to anything that we want, anything that we're seeking about, about the universe are within us and really about ourselves. Um, and, and that's, that's just, I think that's the answer there. And I Mm. think, you know, the point of making the connection between Snoop and Bill Gates and, and Trudeau or Gandhi or anybody who has achieved some kind of financial, emotional, spiritual greatness, greatness, right? Not, not in terms of financial necessarily, but in terms of anything, in terms of his influence and their, their calmness is that they, 
they understand that they're just they're being authentic. Yeah. And they're living um, in accordance with their own their own laws and their own true selves. And, and I think that shows through with Snoop. And that's what he was saying there. Yeah. Was he was saying, you know, I was trying to do this and I was just trying to do me. And all these people here were, you know, were, were couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't come to this. They, could, they couldn't come with me. Right? Right. And, and, you know, Snoop is just doing what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think... Uh, he's the example of living authentically. Yeah. Or he's one example. He's one example. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody... My, my personal philosophy, not to be dogmatic about it, but it's something I see is that I think, I think people who are successful in those ways, um, not, not financially, but in any way, are happen to be authentic because I think living life on their terms. They're living life on their terms, mm-hmm. right? Because they've they've done that work or they've un- have come to that understanding that all the answers to any of their reality are just in themselves. There's mm-hmm. no external thing they need to look at. It all the answers you want mm-hmm. about your own reality and about the reality of how you perceive the universe is just within you. And I think that was and the moment I started to look for those answers inside me and and deep inside is the moment that I started to understand more about, about, you know, myself and about metaphysics and, and religion and science and how that all works. But it started because I looked kind of inside myself and not to any external thing. Okay. But you say also higher consciousness. So that consciousness is within you um, and you're tapping into something. So you're tapping into yourself. But do you feel like in that way, if it's a higher consciousness, are we... Is everyone connected to it? And is it the same consciousness and can everyone tap into it? This. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going there. We're going there. We're going there, right? We can go there. That's good. Go there. I've, I, honestly, like, take, I, yeah, can, I, can, I can sort of chime in here because uh, having the benefit of sort of observing and uh, uh, observing Andreas as he went through this process, um, I acknowledged and I recognized that he was asking himself certain questions. And certain books, certain um, documentaries, certain articles would just come up in conversation. They were just questions that he was asking himself. And for whatever reason, he would happen across certain things and he would read about them. And it just became part of how he perceived his environment and how he perceived his experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we don't combined, don't have the uh, expertise in order to explain (laughs) the metaphysical foundations of how the universe operates. Sure, yeah. But (laughs) we can say, you know, you know, maybe we can suggest for people to um, respond on on the Redline blog, uh, and if they have questions about, you know, where this information comes from and where they can get more information about it. Um, you know, respond to the blog and we can provide them with, you know, resources that we've come across. But these aren't resources that are inaccessible. They're uh-huh. wildly available. Yeah. And this is not something that I'm no genius at all. Like, this is not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not something that originates with me. I mean, this is just something, again, that I've I've, I've read and picked up and related to my own okay. life. So this I, is that's not, fair. Uh, yeah, this mm-hmm. is not, I'm not saying, well, this is how it is because, what you know, what do I know? Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so with everything that we've just talked about, how do you put it all into practice? Uh, seamlessly, no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we, um, well, because it all kind of developed 
organically. Like everything that happened here happened because we just created really strong relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. So um, we decided that whenever there was something that we each, I think this is how it went. This is how it went for me. When we, when we came across something that we liked in our own you know, personal and, and professional practices, we would share it with each other. And so for me, for example, I, I do a meditation practice. And right. I suggested uh, to the group one day, you know, if anyone wants to participate, I'll open up my office and we'll just try once a week. We'll do like a five to ten minute meditation practice and uh, and we'll see where it goes. And it's been solid for maybe two or three weeks now. So it's relatively new, but we are able to go for for longer uh, sessions, which is really, really interesting. And I think we're still in the process of kind of observing how that's sort of shifting our relationships with each other. Um, but we already started on such a great ground. So I feel like to go any better than that is going to be an interesting thing to, to watch. But um, I think we just really practice being in community with each other. And that's okay. just one, that's just one manifestation of that. And how if there are supposed to be rewards that you are striving for in meditation, which I don't think... That's, yeah, that's not really how it works. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Right? That's why I'm saying. Yeah. That's the meditation. Yeah. That's... Yeah. But... It, then what's the purpose? Then why would you do it? No, it's not that. It's just... I, I'm The question I'm asking is, uh, do you feel better? Is Do you feel... Hell yeah. Try not to say benefit. Yeah. But... You know, yeah, but there are there, to, to, to there are, like you, 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 your identity as a pro professional and what you do. Yes. And there, there are, there are so many, you know, kind of emotional and, and physical benefits to meditation. Right. right for sure. Um, but meditation really, what it does is it just, it forces you to, to sit with yourself and, and listen to yourself Yeah, and to listen to yourself. And that is the biggest benefit and that's that can be terrifying yeah <laughs> and that for me like in my I, I tried meditation years ago and i did it for a while but it was terrifying when i was um i was on exchange at uh, george washington university law school so i was in washington dc doing an exchange there mm. and just you know variety of different different reasons i started to meditate and i i kind of i, I had trouble doing it because it, it, it forced me to sit with the emotions and, and the assumptions and the fears of, mm -hmm. of like, you know, that I had, that I held at that time. And it was very hard and I tried to do it, but I would always come up against these issues that I had. And then, you know, and then and as those issues kind of got worked out and, and I, I don't know, I mean, now meditation is a thing that I stopped for a while, for a whole while. Yeah. But I picked it up again um, months and months ago and it's, it's just about that journey inside and it was, it really forces you just to pay attention to yourself. And that's what happened to me. It's just, it, I paid attention to myself, how mm -hmm. I was feeling and mm -hmm. why I was feeling and all the issues that I had, um, you know, from, for, you know, for myself, for my past would come flooding back. And I was right. able to work through those in conjunction with meditation and to where now it's just, for me, it's become a very calm reflective place okay so it sounds like if i can connect the dots and if it, that's even possible but like through meditation potentially you've discovered your authentic self or that's one tool that helps you realize that i think i think it's more of a 
tool. I don't think it's the way because I think okay. there yeah, are yeah. many there's more than ways. One way for yeah, sure. than one way, but it's interesting though. My experience with meditation has uh, has not been calm. It's I remember coming. I remember coming home and um, having the the people around me say, "Didn't you just get home from meditation? Why are you so agitated?" And so there's a there's something that that happens, or there's an assumption that there's something that happens through meditation that it's just going to bring you to the Zen place, nope. and uh, you're just going to be cool as a cucumber, and you're just going to go through your life. And I'm not really selling it, but I don't think I want to give it this persona or this this you know benefit that it doesn't necessarily right. have right off the bat. And to answer your question, it can bring out your authentic self, but first it's got to bring out all the stuff that gets in the way between you and your authentic <laughs> self. And okay. that crap is messy. That's right. messy stuff. And so when you do that in a group and you do that in a group that you trust and you do that in a group where you're able to share with someone afterwards if you're comfortable sharing or to be honored for the fact that you don't want to share in that moment, that makes that process better. When you're around people who don't judge you for not being a certain way after you emerge from meditation, that makes it a great experience. And so... It can lead to being calm. It can mm-hmm. lead to being agitated. The point is that you're not really going to get anywhere if you're judging yourself or if you're basing it on some kind of standard of what it's supposed to look like. Because I was not calm all the time. Okay. <laughs> Far from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see that with everyone, I think, you know, who, who participates in these group meditations has different reactions mm-hmm. to it. Everyone has a different thought. Everyone... You know, sometimes they're they're guided meditations to to you know to like some some music mm-hmm. and some instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally prefer the silent mm-hmm. meditation, and that's like what I do on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know, everyone has a different reaction, yeah. right? Which is which is interesting. Yeah. And I have a different experience of meditation on my own than I do in a group or in this group, right? With the energy that's mm-hmm. that's there, mm-hmm. and everyone has their own energy, and it is mm-hmm. it's a very I don't know, it's a very different thing. Right. And you see it in some of the comments that, you know, and it's not good or bad. It's just everyone takes it in a different way. Mm-hmm. There are four people in the room, but everyone, you know, they're doing the same thing ostensibly, but everyone has a completely has a different completely experience. Different experience. Yeah. And some people you see, they get shook. You can yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, there's some judgment. It's just, it's just, and some people react so differently to it. And yeah. it's, it's, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, so I have a couple more questions. Uh, and they're they're broader. Um, do you feel that mindfulness, self awareness, or at least attention to mental health? Do you think it can it sh- and it should be more openly discussed in the profession? And if you don't think it's happening, in your estimation, enough right now, if you want to say that, why do you think that's the case? And do you think that do you think this is the t- this is the type of discussion that should be encouraged? I think it's happening more and more in our profession. I right. think, especially last year with, with the mandate for the OBA being mental health in the legal yeah. profession. Um, my experience of it, and I think uh, as well, the Law Society had a few programs that I attended last year. Um, the interesting thing about it was that uh, they made some comments at those at those conferences where they weren't expecting the level of participation that they received. Huh. They weren't expecting the number of participants who actually attended and didn't do it through the webcast they weren't anticipating the number of questions they were going to be receiving from the audience to the extent that they at one of the conferences they had to completely 
toss the agenda and just focus on questions that were coming in from the audience. Wow. So I think it was an eye-opening experience for them. Obviously, they knew it was supposed to be on the radar because they took it on as something to pay attention to. But I don't even think they were expecting how much feedback they were going to get. Mm. I don't think they were expecting... Um, the amount of open participation from people who were no longer fearful of the stigma that mm-hmm. comes with asking questions out loud about how you feel. Um, I openly admitted that I have a therapist. I would like that to be more common. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. It's just someone I go and speak to to help me <laughs> understand myself better. Yeah. There isn't anything wrong with that. And everybody and needs their happily, happily, <laughs> I'll happily admit that. Happily. Um, So I think absolutely I want it to happen more. But I'm looking at all of the positive things that have been happening and it is happening more. And there are resources for people. I think what we're doing is saying we also want to contribute to this from our perspective, from the perspective of young entrepreneurial lawyers who work collaboratively, who um, foster community. Everyone has something to say and we just wanted to help to contribute to that conversation from our perspective particular perspective and I think the perspective that 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 is maybe unique to uh, to what we're doing here is that we're speaking from just our own experiences mm-hmm. there's there's nothing that you're gonna find about you know the top five tips to bust stress or how to manage you know that unruly managing partner or something there's, there's nothing like that it's mm-hmm. just the whole point of what we're doing at the red line I think is just pointing you know the, the I guess the blog or, or inward yeah, and it's really just about this is what we're going through. Mm-hmm. At least that's the approach that that I personally take to it. And so I think that conversation is missing at the in the terms of these, the the CBDs mm-hmm. and these conversations. It's about well, these are the tips and tricks that yeah. you need, mm-hmm. as if there's some kind of, you know, this is some kind of shortcut. Yeah, and what there isn't is a lot of these sharing of the personal journeys and these these stories because that is that there's power in sharing that, that being in that vulnerability, Mm -hmm. communicating that vulnerability and that authenticity. That's where the power is. And as scary as that might sound, people want to tell their stories. Yeah. So they're afraid to, and and we are, we all are. Yeah. Yeah. So I think attitudes are shifting. You said it yourself, Suzanne, when you were talking about the OBA event and, and people wanting to share. So, to share their story and to ask these types of questions. So what impact uh, will the ideas flowing from mindfulness and wellness and mental health, um, what impact will it have on the profession as a whole? I think everyone's journey is going to be completely different. I think if you've got, if you've got, you know, me coming to terms with who I am and how I'm motivated and, and, Um, How I define success, how I define failure, it's going to be completely different than Andreas. But I think we will do really well as a culture, as a community of lawyers, if if within that community you have individuals who are more Mm self-aware. You're just going to have a more Mm -hmm. collective Mm self-awareness, and I think that's gonna that's gonna benefit. I I think I think the change happens that is is going to happen at an individual level. Okay. In terms of this mindfulness and, and bringing a more, um, you know, a mental health perspective into the profession and mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of perspective mm-hmm. into the everyday, you know, work work life and, and structure of the legal profession, I think 
if you have enough people who bring that in, then I think collectively the culture in terms of the values that pervade how law is practiced, how it's structured, um, how legal services are delivered might change as well. But And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, it's going to change in this way or sure. it shouldn't change in this way and it should change in that way. But I, for me, it just... It, it, I, I would I would think that the change is going to happen at an individual okay. level on a person by person basis, and it, again I think it starts just within each person and within themselves only. Okay, that's the conversation. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Done like dinner. Yeah. Done like dinner, which, which I want to have because I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but thank you guys for taking the time to chat. I don't thank like. You. I had a good time. Just this was fantastic. It was a yeah. relaxed conversation. Come back anytime. <laughs> this is the kind of kind of shit that you get here. Yeah, or I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. Are we still recording? Yep. Uh, <laughs> can you put? Can you put a bleep over that? Can you just? I hope you all enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. It truly took on a life of its own. Um, yeah, if you want to dig deeper into this stuff, check out the red line at theredline.ca. And as always, stay tuned to the law school show because you never know the interesting people and topics that'll pop up next. Have a good one. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more, Subscribe to the Law School Show on iTunes or anywhere else podcasts are available. If you would like to interact with us, learn more about our past guests, check out the blog, video, and more, go to thelawschoolshow.com. Speak to you soon.